0: Good morning, church. What a glorious morning we have to celebrate our Lord. Uh, Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. For those of you who are visiting, I'm Bob Sawyer. I have the privilege to serve as one of the elders here at Redeemer. Uh, As um, Paul already mentioned, Pastor Vic and the team are returning home today. They should be back this afternoon from their mission trip in Rwanda, and I look forward to hearing more details about that trip. Please be praying for their safety as they fly home. Well, this weekend, as you all probably are aware, marks 20 years since the 9-11 terrorist attack on our country. And before we go on, I just wanted to take a brief moment to share something from an article that uh, was shared with us last night, memorializing Todd Beamer. And for those of you who are not familiar with Todd Beamer, He, along with three other men, spearheaded an attack on the terrorists who had hijacked the plane that he was on, and they were ultimately able to thwart the mission of those terrorists. But the subtitle of the article is what caught my attention. It described Todd as a man whose heroism drew from a life of faith and character. You know, the stories surrounding 9-11 are filled with examples of ordinary people doing their jobs in an extraordinary situation. But this article made me reflect on my own life. Would those around me say that I'm a man of faith and character? Would they know why I do the things I do, what motivates me? And sadly, I think sometimes they probably don't. You know, they might just say, oh, he's a good guy, you know. But I am reminded of, uh, in considering this whole story of the the quote, "The only thing required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. May our faith always prompt us to do the right things, for the right reasons." Well, when um, Pastor Vic returns, we'll be resuming our study of Elijah in the book of First Kings, But this morning, I have the privilege to share with you all from Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 on a subject that my wife Kim and I are very passionate about. Before we were even married, we we began to feel the Lord speaking to us that our primary purpose and calling was to raise children who would be godly and that who would passionately pursue the Lord and his purposes in their lives. Not that we've been perfect parents by any means, but we're convinced that strong families are the building blocks of the church and God's kingdom, and it's one of the primary ways that the gospel is propagated. So the time we have together this morning is too limited to really do justice to this subject, or uh, to even really go deep in these four verses, but hopefully one day we'll be able to do a weekend seminar on parenting like we did on marriage and marriage. And spend more time talking about this. But before we read the word, please pray with me. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would breathe on our time this morning. That you would illuminate your word. That you would prepare our hearts. That you would instruct us. Lord, speak through me what you would have us to hear. And prepare our hearts that we would receive it. In Christ's name, amen. So please... uh, Remain standing while we read Ephesians 6 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And there's a a very similar passage in Colossians 3, 20 through 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged you can be seated so if Ephesians starts off with something that's not a new command it's one of the basic 10 moral commands that the Lord gave the Israelites in Mount Sinai it's a quote of Exodus 20:12 honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you and in Proverbs we see the same thing presented an in, in a negative statement, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. So this commandment, what does it mean to us to honor our father and mother? Well, firstly, we should ask ourselves, who, who gave us the mother and father that we have? Our parents come from the Lord. The Lord placed us in the family that we're in. Some of us are blessed to be born into a family of believing parents who are loving and kind and, and promote us growing up in the knowledge of the Lord, whereas others of us are in less fortunate situations with parents who could be abusive, who may not know the Lord, who may not be honorable. But regardless of our circumstance, God has placed us in a family and he instructs us to honor the parents he's given us. This is not a conditional command. God didn't say that we should honor our parents based on who they are or that we should honor them because we like them or because we should give them honor whether or not based on whether or not they've wronged us or if they've treated us well. It doesn't say we should give our parents honor because their actions are worthy of honor it doesn't say that we should honor our parents when we're young but when we're older we're exempt now that we're parents you know so bearing all these things in mind what does it mean what does it look like to honor our father and mother well as is typical the new testament expands on that old testament instruction and gives us further understanding you know in. In general, to honor means to regard or treat with respect, to esteem. And how we show honor to our parents varies in the different stages of our life. When we're a child, when we're grown, when we have our own family, and as our parents age. So in in verse 1 starts out with instruction on honoring parents when we're young. Children, obey your parents. Children show honor to their parents through their obedience. Children are put under the authority of their parents by the Lord. It's a delegated authority. So that children, you should obey your parents because that's the structure God set up. Parents, it's important to note that this is a conditional authority. We don't have the authority to abuse our children or to treat them however we would. The authority of parents is delegated for the good of the child, to protect them, to train them, to discipline them. Training our children means teaching them what they need to know in the various areas of life. Discipline could be defined as bringing a small directed amount of pain into their life to turn them away from what will destroy them and towards what brings life. And we'll talk about that much more in a moment. But one of the best ways a child can demonstrate their love and honor for their parents is by coming under their authority and obeying them. In verse two, we read to honor our mother and father. And this speaks more towards the way we treat our parents as we become older. You know, we can honor and esteem our parents and give deference to them in how we speak of them. Even as we become an adult and form our own family and have our own household and our own children, we still show honor to our parents. Some of the ways that we can honor our parents is to forgive their sins and love them genuinely. We can speak well of our parents to others and we can work at being involved in their lives you know many of us live at some distance from our parents and it's not easy to be face to face but we can communicate with them we can call them we can um, I know my mom really loves it when my kids send her pictures you know text messages and she can see what they're doing and what's going on in their lives so there's many ways that we can stay involved in our parents life even at a distance and lastly we can Show honor for our parents by caring for them as they age. In contrast, some people's behavior openly dishonors their parents. They speak poorly of their parents. They speak against them. They expose their sins and faults. You know, some people cut off all relationship with their parents and ignore them. They're too busy with their own life to give honor to their parents. You know, Jesus even addressed the way we honor our parents when he was rebuking the Pharisees in Mark 7, verse 11. He's rebuking the Pharisees because they've made a loophole. The, the things that a child should, an adult child should give to their parents, the support that they should give. The Pharisees said, oh, no, you can dedicate that to the Lord and give that to, to us. You don't have to give that to your parents. You just tell your parents, I dedicated that to the Lord. Sorry. You know, but Jesus said that tradition nullifies the word of God. So the Lord expects us to provide for and care for our parents as adults. You know, in 1 Timothy 5.8, it says that when we don't provide for our relatives, for our own household, it's a denial of our faith. But when we do honor our mother and father, the Lord promises that it may go well with us and we might live long in the land. So obedience to God, as throughout scripture, obedience to God and his word results in blessing or well-being in our life. This can be a general, you know, just like it said, that it may go well with you or it can be particular blessings that you receive from the Lord. In verse four, we get into the practical arena of this section of scripture. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This scripture addresses fathers in particular because fathers are the leaders of their home, whether they want to be or not. That's the way the Lord established things And as fathers, we are accountable to the Lord for what goes on in the household and how our children are raised. We are in the chief seat of authority in the household and we must lead our family in providing training and discipline. Day to day, a lot of the practicality of that might fall on the wife, especially if she's a stay-at-home mother. But as fathers, We must provide leadership. And we must see that the way we lead in discipline does not provoke our children. Our discipline must be done in love and fairness. You know, an expanded definition of provoking could be to exasperate, embitter, or irritate our children. We provoke our children to anger or we exasperate them or cause them to become discouraged, as it says in Colossians, when we are inconsistent in our discipline and instruction and when we're unreasonable in what we ask of them. It's also frustrating to children when their parents are hypocritical, when we ask our children to do things that we're not willing to do and that we're not leading in it's difficult for them to believe that that's really a high value in our lives. You know, statistically, children who grow up in a household where the father attends church, even sporadically, are more likely to remain faithful to church attendance than households where the father does not. So our leadership impacts our children and their journey of faith. As a side note, it's important that we be man enough or woman enough to apologize to our children when we're in the wrong. This goes a long way in helping them understand that our instruction and discipline is for their good, not just a blatant insertion of authority for no point. When we're instructing and disciplining our children, The goal is not to crush their spirit we don't ever want to do that but we do want to break their will when they're being willfully disobedient and rebellious some practical advice for training and disciplining our children first of all no matter what age your children are they must learn to come under your authority If our children are rebelling against our authority, you can be sure that when they go out into life, they will rebel against other authority. Most importantly, they will reject God's authority. The only way that our children can truly from their hearts come under authority is by having their hearts transformed by salvation. Therefore, the most important thing you can do for your children is to pray for them and work in their lives to lead them to accepting the Lord. But until they have a new nature in Christ and are regenerated and filled by the Holy Spirit, they really cannot obey from the heart. They are like all who are lost in bondage to sin and death. Secondly, we must train and discipline in love. From the heart, our children must know that our words and actions come out of our love for them. This comes first and foremost from God as a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and then we demonstrate His love to them. When we discipline from a place of love, there is covering for the mistakes we make. I love first, Peter 4, 8, where it tells us that love covers a multitude of sin. As my children will attest, we made plenty of mistakes in how we raised them, but because they knew they were loved, they were able to forgive those and overlook them. Fathers, I urge you to be engaged with your young children, to play with them, to get down on the floor with your toddlers, to build with blocks, to interact with them, to enjoy them. Don't come home from work and feel like you're too tired to invest in your kids. They need to know that they are important to you. Make time to talk to your kids from a young age. That's where it starts. You know, if you want to have a deep and meaningful relationship with your teenager, you can't wait till they're 16. It has to start when they're young. Mothers, I want you to know that there is nothing more significant you can do than to invest in your children. No job, no accomplishment can compare with raising up your children. Our children need to know that they're loved and valued. This is the foundation for us speaking into their lives, for training them, for disciplining them. And it's it's an example of God's love and correction. The reason we can accept God's correction is because we know that he's good and that he loves us. Our children need to know that as well. And for those of you who don't have children of your own or are in the season of life like myself where you have more grandchildren continue to invest in them and for those without children in the children that are in your lives but today I want I'm primarily speaking to parents you must train your children you must exemplify godliness in your own life and then patiently teach them how to practically live as a disciple of Christ And that involves discipline. Once your children know what they should do and how they should do it, you must discipline rebellious actions. I don't know who said this quote, but it stuck with me for years. Willful rebellion must be willfully opposed. You know, but when we're looking at our children's actions, it's important that we can differentiate between childishness and rebellion. You know, it's wrong to discipline a child for being childish. I define childishness as acting their age. You know, uh, When children are young, they have accidents, they mess up, they forget. We don't discipline our child for that. Rebellion, on the other hand, is when your child is actively opposing your known will and instruction. Just some examples to help understand the difference. You know, if you normally put your child to bed at 7 and you keep them out until 10 o'clock at night, then you keep telling them, stop whining, stop fussing. Well, I don't know that they can help it. They're tired. They don't have the self-control. So you're setting yourself up for failure and a situation that could have been avoided You know, again, going back to the small children at the dinner table, they knock over their milk. Maybe they were just being careless, but it was just an accident. But if your child takes a whole plate of food and looks at you and throws it on the floor, then maybe we're talking about rebellion. But you have to look at what's going on and make sure that you're addressing the right things. For rebellion... We must consistently discipline our children to bring them under our authority. The goal of this is to change their heart, not just modify their behavior. We should always be aiming in our training and our discipline at the hearts of our children. Discipline is not the same thing as punishment. Our children shouldn't view our discipline of them as an outflow of our anger oh, I made dad mad, now I'm going to get it. Of course, we do get angry with our kids because we're only human. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we need to be angry but not sin, as it says in Ephesians 4.26. Our correction needs to be correction, not anger. For our biological children, younger children, The most effective way of disciplining is the rod or spanking. I realize that in our church, we're real big on foster care. And in those situations, you don't have that option. So there are exceptions and there are times when it's not appropriate to discipline with the rod. But I want to speak about that this morning, and due to time constraints, I'm mostly going to focus on discipline as it applies to younger children. The same principles apply to our older children, but how we correct changes as they get older. Our culture has such an incorrect view of spanking or using the rod that I want to share a number of scriptures with you that make it clear that this is God's direction for proper loving correction of our children. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 22.15 Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. This goes hand in hand with what I said earlier. Our children are born with a sin nature. They're not basically good. That's why we need to Discipline. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. This is one reason why I'm not a big fan of time out as a discipline for young children, because you are leaving them to themselves, and I, most young children don't have the ability to f- spend that time contemplating the wrongdoing that they're being corrected for. Proverbs 29:17 Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. A lack of discipline results in a lack of rest in our home and a lack of enjoyment in our children. It also results in a lack of others enjoying our children because they find them unpleasant to be around, frankly. So loving discipline is a necessary and right part of raising our children. And I'd like to just walk you through what that looks like. You know, I'm not talking about abusing your child, about physically wounding them. It's important that we discipline correctly from a place of love and self-control There are a number of good books detailing how to administer discipline using the rod. I'll just mention a few uh, Dobson's Dare to Discipline. Uh, It may be out of print, but when I was a young parent, Larry Tomczak wrote a great book with the uh, title God, The Rod and Your Child's Bod. It's just an excellent, very practical, easy read on how to lovingly administer correction to your children. Another excellent book is Ted Tripp's Shepherding a Child's Heart. That book does a fantastic job of laying out why we discipline our children. It's to gain their heart. It's for their good. This is the goal to gain our children's hearts It's for their safety. And it's for their well-being. A child who's in rebellion, is moving and rejecting their parents' authority, is moving themselves out from under the spiritual covering that God set up in their life. They're moving out of a place of protection and safety and into a place of being vulnerable, into a place of danger. We want to restore our children back to the proper place of safety under the covering of the authority that God's established In their lives. Shepherding a child's heart does a really good job of outlining the process of disciplining a child. First of all, discipline should always be done in privacy. We don't want to humiliate our child in front of others and embarrass them. That's wounding. Secondly, we want to be specific. Our child needs to know what they did that's being corrected, not simply that they were being bad. That's a label that you don't want your children to apply to themselves anyway. Thirdly, you want to lead your child to confess or acknowledge what they did. A little conversation might go like this. Did I tell you to pick up your toys? The child says, yes, daddy. And what did you say when Daddy said, pick up the toys? The child says, I said, no. Okay, so it's become clear that they understand what they were doing that was wrong. At that point, we then use the rod to administer correction. This is followed immediately by restoration, which is the key to the whole process of discipline. After spanking a child, you should take your child on your lap, hug them, tell them that you love them. And if your child is not able to receive love from you, then the process really isn't complete. Hebrews twelve eleven says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If we haven't restored a peaceful relationship with our child, we're not done. Further discussion and interaction may be needed, possibly even further correction. We don't want to get into a cycle, though, where we just keep going around and around. But we do want to make sure that ultimately, our child's heart is at peace with ours And that they know that they're loved and they're able to receive our love. Lastly, pray with your child. Help your child to understand that your forgiveness and God's forgiveness are extended to them. The reason this is so important is that proper discipline positions our children to correctly respond to God's instruction and his discipline. And we all will receive God's correction and his discipline in our lives. Hebrews twelve six says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son he receives. So the most loving thing we can do for our children is to properly discipline them and teach them to correctly respond to the correction and discipline of the Lord. Verse 4 talks about bringing our child up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is very multifaceted. It speaks to training our children in the basic spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible. This starts with Bible storybooks for toddlers, reading them the Bible stories, teaching them about Jesus, teaching our children how to pray teaching them how to confess their sins, teaching them the basics of the gospel, teaching our children why we join together and come to church, training them to joyfully worship the Lord in song and music, teaching them about the ordinances of our faith, about the Lord's supper, about baptism. In pursuing these basic disciplines, fathers, and especially it's important that you lead by example telling your children it's important to pray and they never see you pray do you think they're gonna believe that you believe it's important telling your children you should read the word but not reading it yourself they're gonna follow your example not your words and instructing our children I love the passage in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. It describes how we should instruct our children. It says, And these words which I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, all the time. There's always things going on that are an opportunity for us to talk to our children about the Lord. We need to make the most of those opportunities. Another way I I love to instruct children is to tell them God's stories. Personal stories of what God has done in your life or in your family. Some people call them testimonies. I just like to call them God's stories. You know, the example of that, you might think, well, where's an example of that in the Bible? Well, I can give you three. You'll have to look them up on your own because we're running short on time this morning. But Joshua 4, 6 and 7, Exodus 16:32, and Leviticus 23:42. They speak of establishing memorials. The first one, Joshua, is when they cross the Jordan River the Lord parted the river and they walked across and he told them to pick up 12 stones and pile them up. And then he gave them an instruction to paraphrase. When your children see that pile of rocks and say, hey, how come there's a pile of rocks there? You tell them the story. When the Lord brought us into the promised land, he parted the river, we walked across, he gave us this land for our inheritance. These stories are an important part of bringing our children to faith. When they hear about the amazing things that God has done in our lives, things that are real, that are tangible, that they can relate to, it makes God real in their life as well. Lastly, I wanna say, parents, that we cannot delegate the responsibility of training our children, of bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know we're blessed here at Redeemer to have Sherry Morgan and a wonderful team that invest in our children on Sunday mornings but it's not up to them to train our children it's up to us. So how are you doing this morning? Does this make you feel beat up or judged? That's not my goal. Mothers, I don't want you leaving here feeling like you're doing a bad job. Fathers, I don't want you to leave here feeling like you're failing. What I do want is for us to be able to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to raise our children to hunger after Him, to follow after Him, to help us shepherd our children's hearts. If you feel convicted, don't feel bad, but resolve to be different. On a practical note, if you're having challenges with child rearing, I would encourage you to look for a family that's been successful. Don't look at people that have two-year-olds just like yours. Look at people that are farther along that you can observe the fruit of what you want in your children and ask them, how did they do that? My wife and I have been blessed throughout our life with having friends that were a handful of years ahead of us. And we could go to them, we saw the way their children were walking in righteousness and loving the Lord. And so when we had challenges and we didn't know what to do, we would ask them, hey, when your kids did this, what did you do? And they were a wealth of good information. There's also a lot of practical resources out there that are very good. I mentioned several this morning. Read them and put them into practice. I want to caution you, though, that popular does not equal good. There's a lot of things that are popular right now that are not based on the Bible. They're based on modern psychology and the, the feel-good culture that we live in. I would urge you to look for good godly guidance. Lastly, I would just say that social media is probably not your best source for information. There's a lot of stuff out there, but mostly people are just commiserating with each other about how miserable things are. So I would encourage you to find families whose children are walking with the Lord. Use them as a source of encouragement. If you haven't read Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, I would encourage you. It's a great resource. And I just wanna encourage you that no matter where you are in this process, no matter how old your children are, no matter how well you've done, it's not too late. It's not too late to do things differently. Please join with me as I pray for us. We're going to be transitioning to partaking communion together this morning. But I want to urge you, if you would like prayer after the service, please find me or one of the other elders. We'd love to pray with you. If you have specific requests regarding help with raising your children. Or if this morning you realize that you can't really lead your children in following the Lord because you're not following the Lord and you need to accept Christ as your savior, we'd love to talk with you after the service this morning. So please join me as I pray. Father, we just confess our need for your help in raising our children and shepherding their hearts. Lord, we ask that you by your spirit would shepherd us, that you would guide us as we seek to raise our children up to follow hard after you, that you would help us to shepherd their hearts into relation with you. We thank you, Lord, that you are our teacher and our helper. In Christ's name, amen.